Hi, welcome to our Projections podcast mini-sode. Mary and I are working hard to research, plan and record the next series of episodes right now, but we don't want you to forget us, so we're releasing these weekly mini-sodes where we watch new releases or films that we missed for the first time, then record our thoughts, opinions and often tangential conversations afterwards. Thank you for listening to us and remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, rate and review us and generally show us you care. Bye! Hi Mary. Hi Sarah. How was your viewing of The House That Jack Built, Lars von Trier's new film? Well, um, I really enjoyed it. I've been anticipating this film now for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. For a couple of years? Have you yeah. known about it that long? Yeah. Actually, I feel like I have as well. Yeah. And I should say for the audience that we had to go and see this film separately, which was <laughs> very upsetting for us because we don't like to be separated and because we <laughs> thought we were going to go and see it together. That's right. So it was like doubly disappointing. Um, but we, we we got over it. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting screening, really, because on the one hand, I wouldn't say this is my favorite film by Lars von Trier. Me neither. Um, I'm a big big fan of his, and so I was anticipating it. I was really excited, um, and I I do love it. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about this film. I'm mainly thrilled that someone is making a film like this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit overlong. Like, it could have definitely been edited down, although now I'm hearing that there's even a director's cut version, like an even longer version. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was long, but it didn't feel long for me. Yeah, no, that's true. And it felt, yeah. I mean, I think because you're told in the beginning how many, you're essentially told how many parts there are going to be. Yeah. You do, you know where you are yeah, in the that's film. that's true. So I felt like it wasn't, it didn't feel long. Yeah. It just meant that I realised, well, I only realised when I came out and I had to run around because I was late for everything else I was doing <laughs> that day. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, um, it is a kind of interesting because he originally developed the idea as a TV series, um, but then he announced that it would be a film. That's so, interesting. Yeah. I could see it as a TV series, yeah. actually. And Matt Dillon, in the main role of this intelligent, you know, highly intelligent, uh, very... I guess, I don't know how to describe him. I mean, he's definitely a psychopath. He's a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's OCD. Mm-hmm. And we the film follows him over the course of 12 years and depicts his murders, the ones that he, the ones that he reports back that he feels that um, maybe, I don't know, meant something to him, touched him the most or something, developed him. As yeah, a... you get the impression that for the, they're not special. Right. Murders that he's almost picking them at random. Because he's saying, at one point, he just drops this fact. He says, I've killed 60 people. Mm. But he's only reporting on like a handful of them. Five, I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it's it's so difficult, as it is actually a really good representation of psychopathy, because we're, we're really unsure how he truly feels about all of this. Mm-hmm. It's like, is he going through it mechanically or is he truly invested? Because he talks about works of art and little details hidden in corners, like in churches mm-hmm. being built, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the first things first, I want to just say, no one's commented on this, so I feel like this is exclusive, pro- guys. Exclusive to Projections Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like it's because the reason why I was antis- anticipating this film is because. Lars von Trier has said many times that he likes to work in trilogies. You know, mm-hmm. he's had the Golden Heart trilogy, the Europa trilogy, the Depression trilogy, etc. And he said he always wanted to do a so-called USA trilogy, his commentary on 
social, you know, social social issues happening in America, political um, observations, etc. And he left. Well, he made Dogville, which was obviously in uh, this kind of small mountain town Mm -hmm. in in, uh, the Midwest of the United States, which was followed up by Mandalay, which was a film about slavery Mm -hmm. in the United States. And then after Mandalay, he always said that he would conclude that trilogy about a serial killer in Washington, D.C. Oh, my goodness. Right? Yeah. This film is not set in Washington, D.C. It's, mm-hmm. it's set in Washington State. Okay. He always said that he would call the film about the serial killer Washington, mm-hmm. uh, which he hasn't now. He's uh, There's absolutely no... I mean, to, to be fair, I, I don't know for sure. This is just speculation. I'm not saying that this absolutely is the conclusion to the USA trilogy, but there's just too many things that are similar. Like, it is about a serial killer. And he yeah. said that it was going to be, you know, the, the third installment of the trilogy would be about a serial killer. So I feel like I'm on, you know, reasonable ground here yeah, to make that assumption. And so that makes me then think, what does this film have in common with Dogville and Mandalay? What does it have in common? You know, and I, I just, because Dogville is so much about, I think, the hypocrisies of civilization, it's very much running alongside, for me, psychoanalytically, very Mm -hmm. close to Freud's book, um, uh, Civilization and Its Discontents, about how we form communities, we come together, and on the surface, it's all for... Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's purported to be for the for the for the greater good. Uh, we eliminate loneliness and isolation. We 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 create harmony and balance, etc. But actually, what ends up happening is that a lot of groups are created for illegitimate illegitimate purposes, and it actually creates neuroses in people. Mm-hmm. And people feel like there's pressure on them, and they have to live up to certain standards, or they've been betrayed, or they feel anxiety in the group for whatever reason. And so Dogville is good at exposing the hypocrisies of society. Mandalay is really a piece about uh, absolute injustice uh, of, of you know using slavery as a as as an example as a case study to look at power imbalance and um, absolute you know atrocities being committed committed against human beings. So it's much more extreme in the sense of the power imbalance. And now we're here looking at clearly a psychopath mm-hmm. again brilliantly depicted by Matt Dillon I mean he's so convincing he was incredible in it <laughs> he's How, a great performer taking all of that time off uh, yeah. to do god knows what seems yeah. to have uh, <laughs> done him good he's brilliant he really he was, is but convincingly awful and unlikable <laughs> oh, and yeah. yeah I find myself quite angry with him yeah. so yeah he was fantastic he was fantastic and that's I think that's the measure of a successful performance mm-hmm. because he's playing someone completely repulsive Mm -hmm. we're not meant to sympathize with him he's not an anti-hero he's a despicable human being in the in the film and so that's why some of the some of the reviews that came out because of course the film was screened out of competition at the Cannes Film Festival this year marking Lars's return Mm -hmm. to to the festival after he'd been banned in 2011 and he there was obviously a lot of love for him at in the screening room he got a standing ovation before and after the screening Mm -hmm. But apparently, around 100 people walked out. And some of those were writer, you know, film writers or critics. And a lot of people said that he is glorifying violence and that he's celebrating attacks on women, which, 
to me is preposterous because why would we expect to identify with the the moral compass of a serial killer? We wouldn't. Well, it's such an exhausting um, it's such an exhausting reaction. We seem to talk about this every time there's a violent <laughs> film, and I mean, I found myself having found myself yeah repulsed by the film. Yeah, and not actually. I will say. The, the amount of fuss people have made about the violence in this film, you don't actually see anything, really. No. It's not, it's not that bad. It's no, it's, it's, no, it's not. It's, almost, it's, it's really quite tame. It's not yeah. disgusting. It's, it's not negligible. Yeah, it, there's really not very much in it. Um, what I found, I found some of the things he said like, very harmful and, oh, and yeah. painful. And it took, me, it took me a minute or two to, to place my outrage correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think that... That's, so that's I think that's a normal and common reaction and something that directors probably want. Absolutely. But it's it's exhausting to continuously have this argument that if people in a, if characters in a film are not are in some way politically incorrect or in some way yeah. horrible people, then that is the message of the film. Yeah, that's it's, that's it's preposterous. Insane. It is. Um, I, don't, really do I just don't know how to continue to have that conversation. Yeah, it's, it's frankly, it's draining yeah. because it takes away from more meaningful analyses that we could be having yeah. about a film, and yet we're stuck in this very sophomoric mm-hmm. uh, pedestrian lane where we're seeming, to, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be perceived to be saying the right things about, about films. Yeah, and that can actually work both ways. Oh, it can. Because after... In a little while, I'm going to tell you about my experience oh. of the screening um, and the people that I was watching it with. Oh God! And there, there is a there's this reaction of of outrage. There's this performance of outrage, yeah. but there's also this performance of being super okay with it and in on right. the joke, which is almost more revolting. Yeah, of course it is. Um, and I will tell I will tell you really soon. Oh gosh. Okay, I look forward to hearing okay. about this. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, I, I agree that um, as a cinephile and, and as a person who's interested in psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. I would never feel comfortable with everybody accepting that merely depicting violence means that the filmmaker is endorsing it. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely incorrect. And n- now we're following into, in, falling into a very dangerous territory where we're policing artists and we're trying to make them, you know, put confines around their creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really wrong. Artists are not politicians. They don't have and should never have the responsibility to you know, carry messages uh, for the good of society. They're expressing something to do with themselves and they're using the artistic medium and they should do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. Um, and I, I said as, as a psychoanalyst as an, and as an anarchist. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? I mean, um, in, I mean, obviously we have, you know, once you do whatever you want, you accept criticism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, Lars von Trier as a, as a public figure, um, you know, he should also be prepared to get to get the criticism that mm-hmm. will be leveled at, at him, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Um, just in terms of what the film, I have to do a little bit more thinking about the connections. Of, I'd really like to see it again. You know, with this and the other two films, mm-hmm. because I really feel like the more I think about it, the more it does start to feel like a final piece of that puzzle. That's really interesting because. Lars von Trier has a serious phobia of traveling. He's never been to the United mm-hmm. States. He's never been, you know, he doesn't like to go on planes. Um, and so due to his phobia, he's really looking at America and Americana and their culture through 
popular culture, mm. having never been there. But he has this kind of preoccupation with how they are. And there's so many moments in this film, in the house that Jack built, where the serial killer, initially he's very, uh, he's hyper aware of himself. He's very self-conscious. The OCD mm -hmm. sequences are fantastic in the film where he, He's committed a murder, he's gone in, into the car, and he keeps thinking, have I left traces of blood somewhere? Have I covered my tracks? What am I, am I going to get found out? But then that OCD dissipates with every murder because mm -hmm. he keeps getting away with it. And even when he it ta taunts his victims and torments them and tells them, you know, scream all you like, no one's going to come and ha rescue you. And that ends up being the case. We realize that... It says he, he, the film really is some kind of commentary about. I don't know. Is it the indifference? You think it's about Trump, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but just when you were saying, you know, he just exposes all of his, you know, worst sides. Exactly. And it's just, very Trumpian. And just can just manages to continue on, and no one does anything. Exactly. You know, just publicly uh, sexually assaults people yeah. and. He and outdoes says terrible, himself. terrible things about every, you know, everyone uses this awful language and just, just gets away with it gets continuously, away with it. and mm. takes delight. Mm. For him, it's just the game. He relishes on his bat, you know, his own kind of uh, worst aspects of his of his character. Mm. Um, he takes serious delight in that. And is it some kind of commentary about the indifference of society, witnessing horrific, br brutal stuff? B because it's such an it's such a complex film. It's it's got that, and then it's there's so many other dimensions weaved in mm. to do with the artistic process. And there's a lot of self reference. Lars von Trier is commenting. You know that oh, whole yeah, that whole bit when he <laughs> talks about the work of great artists, and it's just all of his films. <laughs> Good grief. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> that was quite funny. It was funny. Yeah. But there is there is a side to him where, um, you know, he... And I, I take issue with that. I do mm. take issue with... Um, I, I think Lars von Trier is consciously doing this. And I think it's really intelligent of him. Because I've always taken issue with that description of psychopaths as intelligent. There is this mm. uh, association between, you know, tremendous intelligence and psychopathy. Right. Um, and... Uh, there's not. He's not that intelligent. He's just kind of mansplaining. He's just talking. Oh, that's true. He? Yeah, that you is know, true. He's just you know he, he knows his subjects. He knows his interests, and he talks about them loudly and without interruption <laughs> to people who aren't interested in the same thing, and therefore won't won't interrupt him. And he's not a good artist. Mm. You know, he's 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 uh, he's supposed to be building this house. He's supposed to be this mm. architect, and he, he can't do it. He's he's kind of he's a failure. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's that's the really interesting thing about it that mm. he's so you know, he's so superior. But and he calls himself Mister Sophistication. Mister Sophistication, which is that was the funniest thing for me. <laughs> Mister Sophistication. It was really when Riley Keogh was like, "You're Mister Sophistication, aren't you?" <laughs> and, and it's just like, well, you, even your serial killer name is it's stupid. You're like, um, it's very Trumpian. It's very Trumpian. I'm so sophisticated. Yeah, you know, it's, like yeah, exactly. You know, I'm a, a stable genius. I'm Mister Sophisticated. <laughs> it's the same. It's exactly the same thing. Just this. This nonsense, this nonsense thing, and that boasting, that, and that is a th is, that is a thing about serial killers. They do often they give themselves these names. They do, and um, you know, and 
you know, the names get sort of interwoven into popular culture and they get used in newspapers and we just use them without thinking, but mm. they're geeky names. BTK, <laughs> the, the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> like, you know, it's... I, I actually have a film club called the Zodiac Film Club, but that's the thing. It's just actually when you think about the, a guy naming himself... Exactly. It's so super geeky and so pathetic. It's not cool. It's really not cool. No. Oh. But yeah, and that's what I love about it. This, this, this idea, you know. And he says that he's, you know, he, I think he even says, "I'm, I'm very intelligent." I'm, you're not. You're not that intelligent. You just talk over people. It's true. He is a mansplainer for he's sure. One hundred. That's one hundred percent what he is. And I was really pleased with that kind of subtle. Oh yeah. Depiction of of a psychopath and their their emptiness. You know, their that they don't have really what they think. They're they cold have. detachment. Yeah. Because actually, what also strikes me in just listening to you, you know observe these points on the film is that it is structurally very similar to Nymphomaniac in the sense that it's very it's, it's made in that confessional mm-hmm. style very kind of Marquis de Sade Justine you know someone uh, looking back and, 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 and confessing you know coming to terms with what they've done mm-hmm. in Nymphomaniac it never feels overbearing and obnoxious like hearing J- the Joe character speaking no. I never feel like she's uh, bragging or boasting. There's a lot of... It's very complex. And she's a very interesting character. Whereas with him, he's doing exactly the same thing. I know. And that's the thing that it we have... You know, I've really got used to watching Lars von Trier films with female yeah, leads. Yeah, I know. And it is so... And the, and the thing is that it's no... They're all just Lars von Trier. They are. But Lars von Trier is so much more attractive as a woman. <laughs> I think so. Um, and <laughs> that should be the tagline of our episode. <laughs> That's what we'll tweet. But I think you'll like you that. Agree, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and he knows that. And, you yeah. know, this is his, as much as this is, as I, I can agree this is part of a trilogy, it's also very much a response to, to, I think that a lot of men are looking at themselves now in this particular time and climate. Mm-hmm. And maybe, Maybe not liking what they see, but also maybe feeling angry that the way they are is suddenly not acceptable mm. after years and years of being acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that's why there is this mixture. And I think it's a really brave film to make because it is very much a film about his his own thought, his own flaws. And yeah. I think maybe what he put puts actresses through, yeah, actors through yeah. actually, because it's not just female actors that have had a problem with yeah, like Paul Bettany, Paul Bettany yeah. had a horrible time, yeah. Um, Though, like Jack, it is mainly women that have a hard time with Lars von Trier, and he's, you know, he makes men miserable too. Yeah. But, he, but and um, it's really interesting step to take your difficult qualities, your, mm-hmm. you know, because he's explored his depression and his sort of belligerence and his superiority. Because Joe in Nymphomania, Joe's a very superior character. Yeah, she, she is. stands up at her nymph- at her um, sex edits group and says, I'm I'm just better than all of you. I'm yeah. not like any of you. Yeah. Um That's true. And uh but it's it's pretty brave to finally put your bad qualities into a male character. Yeah. Who's you know, who's not gonna be so sympathetic and put them out there. Exactly. Exactly. And he's not an anti hero. He's it's really difficult to pin down exactly what motivates him. Mm. Because that that final sequence um is so I really need to have a look at the entire film again yeah. and study that final sequence because it is so interesting. It's such a departure from the rest of the film. It's it's very fantastical. Mm. 
it's definitely references to Dante's Inferno. Yes. And Bruno Ganz, who I adore, huge, huge fan. Double crush. Yes, I do. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I could listen to his voice all day. Um, what's interesting also, there's a reference there with him being in the film, because Bruno Ganz played Hitler in Downfall. And of course, you know, Lars von Trier told a very ill-advised, mm -hmm. off-color, distasteful joke about Hitler at the Cannes Film Festival, which got him kicked out and banned as persona non grata. So there's an interesting link oh, there. Yeah. Um, and there's that great meme, of course, that, you know, the scene from Downfall that always gets played out, and it's fantastic. Um, oh, yeah, we should Instagram that. That's just a mental note to myself. Yeah. When I'm editing this. Get it ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I like these little subtle things in the film. Um, what well, did you yes. make of that? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was really interested in a lot of the things. And I um, didn't bring my notebook, but I wrote down some things that I was interested in. But I wanted, I was very interested in the room, the cold, the freezer, where he keeps all the bodies, mm -hmm. just as a very symbolic area. Which, um, particularly since there is a door in it that he can't get open there's a door to like yeah. a further place and it's stuck and it's stuck for most of the film and it only it's only opened out of complete necessity mm -hmm. um, and I try I just I it's, it feels like some kind of reference to you know like layers of his subconscious or yeah. layers of you know it felt like a very psychoanalytical oh, yeah. structure you know, that, that idea of a locked door. The mysterious space behind yeah. the door. That he keeps trying to get to and he can't. Mm -hmm. And it's also, and, but, and then there's another thing about the room, which is that it's full of pizza boxes, boxes of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and he can't get rid of them. He doesn't I think he eats one and they're not good beef boxes of pizza, but he doesn't throw them away. They're just in there, just taking up space among Alongside all these bodies. Alongside bodies, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a very nice, it's a very nice sort of symbol of a, of a, um, of a mind that is that is stuck mm. you know um I don't know I couldn't I really I couldn't think but actually you've just made me think of something you know when he find you, you you rightly say that he manages to open the door out of necessity as mm -hmm. sheer necessity because now uh the, the 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 law is hot on his trail um, he's got a bunch of men lined up their skulls lined up in a row which by the way was I found to be the most um the most upsetting murder. Mm. Um, even even though there are there are much bloodier and gorier yeah. ones, I don't know what it was about that, but it it really it really sickened me. Yeah, it's the, awful. Yeah, so all the yeah, all they're Some all lined weird... up, and he wants to shoot them all with one bullet because he has this experiment in his head yeah. where it will he what is it the Full Metal Jacket magazine? Yes, and so will he able you know there's this little little game he's playing where he's wondering, am I going to be able to kill all these people with just one bullet? Yeah, and, and they're all in this horrible like structure oh, it's tied sort of tied to it by their necks, and it's very kind of human centered. That's okay. That's exactly yeah? exactly what it made me think of. It's gross, and you know. That that's the thing. That's the film that I'm most scared of, of all time. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm already, I'm already stuttering because you scared me just by saying the name. We know, we don't even say centipede. I don't, I don't like saying human because I'm so scared of that film, and I've never seen it. It's god awful. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, I watched that film thinking it was just going to be like a joke, and it did actually really disturb me. I'm not surprised. I've never seen it, and I have. I think I've told you the story of when yeah. I. 
um, I read, I'm going to tell our listeners, mm. that I read uh, the, a newspaper, a Guardian article about the, the second film, about the scene that was so horrific that it caused the second film to, to, uh, to not get a rating. Mm-hmm. And um, I stayed and I stayed awake all night. I didn't go to sleep. I had to keep the light on. My poor boyfriend at the time had to try oh, and sleep God. while I was... Like I was reading P.G. Woodhouse novels with the light on, just to try and get some kind of sense of like of like normalcy Gosh. and niceness. And then at work the next day, I would I would I couldn't eat. I kept like gagging. Oh. I was just so upset. Yeah. Um. And I think it was. It just felt like a very. It was sort of at a time when I was I was feeling really unsafe. I was living in a really unsafe place. I felt I got you know, followed home a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very very aware of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. There had been a really high profile murder of a guy that had murdered his girlfriend over right. a bet with oh his friends, um, and it just felt like a really really terrible terrible world for women, mm. and that sort of played into it. So yeah, now I have this phobia of this film, <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, that scene it really horrified me. It that really must did. have been the connection. Yeah, it that def- it had- it's so weird that you said that. That is exactly. It felt really, really distressing, and I almost wonder if it was a, a deliberate reference. I because I I'm feel sure like it was. filmmakers all over the place. Like that that film is it's so disgusting and but and quite bad. Mm. You know, I don't, that guy's not. He's Tom Six. He's not. A, he's not a respected director. No, he's not. But other directors have heard about it. They like the notoriety. And they do reference it. I've there's a lot of references all over the place to oh, that yeah. film. That film is very, very hyper referenced. Yeah. Um it's it has a huge following on the internet. And I don't know if it's some kind of favorite within the incel community or something. I don't know. Ooh. But I think there's some link with that. Oh. So that even further, you know, validates. That makes it so much more scary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like, I can (laughs) sit here and laugh about serial killers being, you know, choosing geeky names for themselves and being pathetic and not being as clever as they think they are. And then there is a a whole community of, uh, there's a whole cultural movement behind that, like, My Favourite Murder. Mm -hmm. You know, like, women doing, you know, comedy podcasts about crime. But because... That's the thing, because there, there truly are a lot of misogyny that ends in horrific violence. Absolutely. And it's scary. It is. It's really scary. And it's, it has very it real has, impacts. It does. Yeah. And it's like, it, is, it is something that is almost a constant threat. And when mm-hmm. you meet someone who is a misogynist, that, that sort of hint of violence is never very far behind it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which actually makes it possibly time for me to tell you about my experience during oh, the yes, screening. Oh, yes, please do. Yeah. So I went to a strange... I think maybe um, programmers screening. Okay. So it wasn't a press screening. It was. It seemed to be for people that might that would program it in, mm-hmm. at their cinemas. It was mm-hmm. from by Kurt. I think Kurzweil were hosting it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at Soho House. Yeah. It was actually very sparsely attended. It was okay. maybe only five people. They were all guys. Okay. Really, you were the only woman there. Um, I was the only woman there, apart from one woman who was. I don't know who she was, and that's the thing. I'm sure that I'm. Hopefully, none of these people listen to our our podcast, but I'm sure they're all, you know, in the industry. Yeah. She looked very polished and blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like I like the look of her. And then just a load of guys, mm-hmm. and it felt like a very strange. It's been a while since I've been in a room just full of dudes. Yeah. And um, it and they were, um. In the film, they were. They were very rowdy. 
they weren't quite quietly absorbing this film. They'd sort of come to see the film without, just sort of, to, I th feel like they'd come to this film just to come and see it. They didn't, you know, they didn't really want to watch it. Mm. What they wanted to do was laugh at every single line. Oh, come on. Every single one. The ones that just That's weren't so funny, ones that weren't jokes. Oh come on! And it was this very, very, and it was, and it was all, all of them. Every single person in the room, apart from me and the person that I was with, who was who was so like angry about it as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. Um, I tried really hard to kind of to get absorbed in the film, but it was it was very irritating and very distracting, and it was this sort of conscious. I'm in on the joke. I think it's funny, Ugh. but it got to this point where they were laughing at. They were laughing at horrible things. Yeah. And the you know, the scene that is the sort of the most upsetting is is with him and, and Riley Keogh's yeah. character and who he calls Simple. Yeah. Um, it's awful. Yeah, what's her actual name? It's like I can't remember what her actual name was. Um, um so I think she's credited as Simple. She's which credited is very as irritating. Simple, which is awesome. She actually has a name and she says what it is. And yeah. um He's just awful to her, and he's you know telling her that she's stupid, and mm -hmm. she's everyone finds this very funny, and then he starts he starts, and I know that everyone it's not even a spoiler alert because it was everywhere, but yeah. he starts cutting off her her breasts. He draws yeah. lines around them, and starts slicing them off with a knife, mm -hmm. and everyone in the cinema suddenly shut up, really? which is the point that I wanted to laugh. Wow, it's like oh, cause oh, this is too much for you. Wow, you know it's all fine. You know it's all fine for you as long as someone's only you know verbally abusing someone. It's fine, but oh this gosh. makes this makes you feel a bit funny. And I this and that's the point where I wanted to laugh. This is the stupid bit. Yeah, this is the cartoonish bit. Yeah, everything else that you thought was so hilarious was actually awful. Was actually awful. Yeah. and it just it just kind of I, and no one really laughed after that. And I was and it just made me really it just made my day that their experience seemed to have been ruined oh by this God. by this moment, which was sort of the moment that I finally started enjoying the film because I don't know it was it was a really strange strange screening what is that so they were do you think they were just defensively laughing because they were nervous or something or was it no it That's wasn't so because defensive laughing happens in strange parts strange yeah. you know strange moments yeah this was uh, this felt like very deliberate laughing how bizarre and it started immediately in, in immediately and it was every single line I wish you'd been at my screening there I was know, none of that going on your screening sounded lovely it would have got to meet Mike yeah exactly oh. Shout out to Mike, by the way, who, Mike from Evolution of Horror Podcast. Evolution of Horror Podcast. We love that podcast so much. You're a huge inspiration to us. And yeah, our, my screening was super civilized. Mm -hmm. You know, people laughed at... At the appropriate moments. Yeah, the appropriate moments. There was no, there was no showing off. It was so. It was there was so much showing off, oh, and it was gross. such a small amount of people that it was just it was it was the it was one of the most bizarre experiences of my life. And people who are in the industry. Maybe even anyone that was actually at that screening, mm. if you could email us and explain yourselves or yeah. explain we what that know. is. We want to know what you were thinking. We, yeah, because it's <laughs> that's super annoying. It is annoying. And I'm one of those cinema, you know, maniacs, cinemaniacs, <laughs> who um, I cannot stand, you know, bad behavior in the cinema. Mm. Um, I mean, I, this is now a joke, obviously, uh, a reference to... An actual event that did take place in Latvia when Black Swan had been released in our country in 2011. Mm -hmm. Someone was either laughing at the wrong time or eating their popcorn too loudly and they got shot. Oh my God. <laughs> by another cinema goer. <laughs> now that's a very serious crime yeah, and I don't awful. endorse we don't that. don't endorse it, but, but just remember it. <laughs> Next time you want to laugh, 
inappropriately. No, we're kidding, of course. But I mean, no, I, I think that in a way, yeah, I can see how it would feel vindicating to actually hear people fall silent yeah. after a scene like that. It because was very it's like, vindicating you know? because uh, that's the thing. And, you know, and me and you, we're both, we're both serious horror fans. Oh, yeah. One of us is too wimpy to watch Human Centipede, but you know we've done martyrs. We've done, yeah. we've done, you know, we've done the scary ones. We've Absolutely. done the gory ones. We don't yeah. have a problem with no, that. No, it's not. It's not. And the the idea that it's the idea that someone can stomach domestic abuse of the verbal kind, but mm. then suddenly fall silent exactly. when it when something disgusting is happening is pathetic. It is pathetic. I agree. I don't. Know. But in a way, I mean, just to kind of. Because now I'm thinking of, like, just to segue back to that moment when he does open the door. Mm-hmm. You know when he, so he does it out of necessity. The cops are on his trail. He's completely obsessed with figuring out whether this experiment would, will work mm-hmm. with the Full Metal Jacket magazine. And that's when he, because he's got his weapon on some kind of tripod, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to stabilize his weapon and he's focusing in on the lens to get the target exact. He only has one bullet, mm. which is interesting because he had the chance to get more bullets. Yeah, that's the thing. It was, he only it was, takes one. Yeah. So it's it's like this other challenge for himself. Mm-hmm. It's a sick challenge he's setting up for himself to see and whether it, he can get point, it in one totally go. Totally lost any oh, yeah. ability to cover his tracks. You know, oh yeah. He like steals a police car, the <laughs> sirens blurring. He doesn't turn it off. He leaves it doors open outside the place where you know all of these bodies are and these poor men. You know, it's just... He's reached the ultimate kind of sort of... Bizarre Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's gone completely berserk. Mm -hmm. Like, he's complete... I mean, he was already, in a sense, detached from reality anyway. But now he's completely divorced from any normal logical behavior. And he's just completely wanton and excessive. And he just wants to know whether this experiment will work. He's... And the the fact that he's been able to um, open the door gives him more space to backtrack the tripod mm-hmm. so that he can get more distance and get a better focus. To me, at that moment, Jack was a film director. Mm. That's that's all I saw. Oh. I just saw a director completely so obsessed and absorbed in their shot and that they have this just one shot and everything has to be lined up and there's so much pressure. There's an insane amount of pressure on the actors and he's actually torturing them. He's making them participate in the torture by giving him advice on the type of bullet. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what ended up happening. One of the guys right at the front of the row was like, oh, you've actually got the wrong bullet. It's not going to work. I mean, it's completely absurd. He was getting them to participate in their own demise. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he said that. He was probably probably just trying to buy time, um, you know, find some means of escape, etc. It was a smart thing to do. But in the general structure of the scene, I, th- I thought it was kind of a genius moment because it just reminded me so much of someone actually taking, you know, creating a mise-en-scene yeah, and, right. and creating a frame. So, yeah, I, I feel like it, it's one of those films that really deserves um, multiple viewings because there's so much in it. There's so much cerebral stuff. There's so many little moments of, like, off going off in tangents talking about history and art and music and it's very it can feel really highbrow and then you realize you're you know I mean it's very I, mansplaining it is very mansplaining I mean I was really inspired by um that the the pianist that oh, you're yeah. coming back to 
you know, I've really felt there was that it just that really injected the film with some humanity. Yeah. And it was very much that's that's a, this lovely thing that Lars von Trier does where he shares his 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 tastes and his obsessions with us. And that was great, you know, that like I felt like I felt like Lars von Trier had sat down next to me and showed me a YouTube yeah. video of that guy. <laughs> You know, and that's that's, a great way of putting it, was, it. And that was so lovely, and that's that's why we love him. That's why we love him, and we do love him. Yeah, um, we love you, Lars. Maybe, maybe again, you know, maybe against our, our better judgment sometimes. Well, we know we love him as a film director. Yeah, we do. Um, and we do kind of love him as a person because everything he explains about his own, you know, mental illnesses, we have a lot of sympathy for. Absolutely, and a lot, you know, a lot of experience of. Absolutely. I um, mean, you know, I suffer from anxiety mm-hmm. and I completely relate to the way that he's been so generously, you know, open about his experience of anxiety. Yeah, he is. He's very, he's actually very open about his own, his own, the way that his own mental illnesses get in the way of his creativity yeah. as well, which is really, I think, really important because there's, there's sometimes this idea perpetrated that your mental illness will help your creativity and yeah. it doesn't at all. I what did I read the other day? It said something like a um, like a, a low dose of melancholia is inspiring, but depression is crippling. So like you can be if you're a little bit sad for a, like a couple of hours, then you generally get a good idea. But which is a really interesting. That isn't it. That is a really yeah. interesting way of of. of and I've, about I that's it. definitely my experience. Of yeah. It. If I if I get a you know if I have uh, a loss in confidence for mm. some like if an event happens. Mm. That it's you know, and it's not a, a soul-crushing, terrible event. Sure. I will spend a few hours crying, and then I will while I'm while I'm usually while I'm I'm making people worry about me. Like while people, you know, you, you seem really upset about this. I'm like, oh wait, I've got an idea, and oh. then I and then I go away and have my idea. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like the Goldilocks of sadness. It's, like, yeah, it has it's to be exactly just has right. to be just right. Yeah, perfect. But you know, last one true sadness is sometimes can't get out of bed. Well, yeah, exactly. So yeah. What did you think of the House of Corpses? <laughs> I thought it was funny. I thought it was so stupid. <laughs> it was really stupid. It was like so stupid. <laughs> and I can't I found it indefensibly stupid. Yeah, it was really stupid. Like it's was... supposed to be stupid, right? Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be completely stupid. It is. It is. Just as stupid as when, you know, the whole bit with the kid mm-hmm. whose face is being con- contorted into yeah, a special that's true. kind of friendly face. And he looks he looks so silly. Like yeah. it's just it's awful. I thought that was because it was so much of a build up to it, so we're expecting, I mean, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. You know, what is all this? To just see that. Yeah, like... it was just it was I like I just I could I could not. <laughs> um, he's very. It's also a very unreliable narrator, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because the the uh, the victims are such caricatures. Yeah, of course. So, what did you make of Bowie's song "Fame" that you kept running through? Because yeah, that was. Re- I thought of you, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Bowie. <laughs> because the thing is, um, I, I don't know how many people out there know this, but Lars von Trier is an insane like. Bowie freak like he he loves David Bowie he's oh, a completely obsessed okay. as am I so mm-hmm. we have that thing that links us I think forever we'll always have Bowie <laughs> no matter what else happens because of course at the end of you see this is another thing with Dogville because at the end of Dogville when the credits run it's Young Americans mm-hmm. that plays oh of course yeah. right 
um, which is also Young Americans, the song, but Fame, which keeps playing in the house that Jack built, is from that album. Mm -hmm. It's from the, the, the same album, Young Americans. Um, so that was the only thing that I found as a link in terms of tracing it into that tri trilogy. And of course, there's the whole idea about the obsession, you know, the serial killer's obsession with fame, um, that they take delight in being known mm. and, you know, with all the press cuttings and everything. Um, what did you think of it? Because it was uh, just the use of that song, because it kept, it was the, really the only song, yeah, it apart was from the. the only song. I mean, that hit the road Jack played at the very end. Oh, yeah, I liked that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> that was funny. I, just, I, I always forget about that song until someone plays it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. It's a good little tune. Yeah. I mean, the same thing, really, just the, that narcissism. Yeah, of, exactly. Of, of psychopaths, of serial killers. Yeah. On to, and, you know, and it's all... He lives this very... It's this very strange narrative mm. that of this person that's so isolated you don't have any context as to where he meets his his most of his victims yeah. i mean the uma thurman he picks up on the side of the road because she's has a broken down car but apart he kills from with that, a jack yeah oh yeah i didn't notice that that's very good <laughs> um but yeah everyone else it doesn't it just seems to there's no backstory you know he's suddenly with these people like the riley character the riley care you know who's supposed to be in a relationship yeah but we don't see any of that development of their mm. relationship or anything it's just we're then just thrown in. Yeah, yeah. You don't know why they're together. No. At all. And you know, there's that strange little quite sweet scene where he goes to see her and she's crying. Yeah. And and she's she's scared that he's she's he's gonna leave her. And then they go and talk on this little toy telephone from other from different rooms. And it's just it's really sweet. It's weirdly sweet. It's weirdly sweet. Um it's really nice. It was like this really nice moment of levity, which I think maybe it was just a gift, because you know, because the rest of the film is so comic relief. Yeah, I yeah. think it was comic relief or just sort of romance relief. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but because he is such a, because he, you know, it reminded me of American Psycho a little bit. You know, oh, yeah. because he is just has just come out of nowhere and has no real, you know, his story is so randomly chosen that yeah. you know you and you know he has these press cuttings, but. You don't, you know. She seems to know who he is, but you you get the idea that nothing's really true. You know, maybe maybe, maybe he imagined it. Maybe yeah. Maybe he imagines it. Maybe he's maybe he's actually a psychotic, yeah, not a psychopath. Exactly. And 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 I like that because it's because it's so disjointed, and we're we're just seeing little glimpses, and it's a retelling of sorts. Mm. It does create then experientially. Maybe what it does feel like for a psychopath to be trapped in a mind like that, where not there's no connection. That is true. Yeah, the, it was. You know, nothing that is, is linked. It, that's actually, it would have been really good for psychopaths if we'd been able to. Oh, have, definitely, um, definitely. It, it, yeah, everything was so just impulsive. Yeah, impulsive, and, detached, and, cold. Yeah, and nothing there. Maybe that you know that is actually really true. It is actually a really good you representation know? of a psychopath. Yeah, just nothing really make just nothing makes sense to the rest. Nothing of us. matters, and it's very nihilistic. Yeah. He's he's literally just collecting bodies. It's mm. it's just the way he said, "I've killed sixty people." Just the way he said it, like he just mentioned it, as if he didn't even care. Yeah, um, that's a really nice touch because that is exactly how someone who's behaving like that and who's mm. just piling up bodies would would say that. But it's also know? what someone would say who's lying. That's true. So is he then? You're right. So yeah. is he then? 
is he just a narcissist? Is he a psychopath or is he psychotic? You know, there's it's not really we're not really sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. God, that's interesting. Yeah, that's why it wears another viewing. Yeah, it really does. I think it would it's multiple viewings. It's a very it's a difficult viewing. Mm. Um, not because of the subject matter, but because it is it is difficult to sit through yeah. um hours with someone you don't like. You know, and you don't find attractive yeah. in the way that we found Charlotte Gainsbourg so attractive, yeah. and we find Kristen Dunst so attractive, yeah. and Nicole Kidman Kidman and Donville, so, you know, yeah. we find those women so we we will forgive those women a lot of a lot of things, and it's much much harder to forgive Matt, Matt Dillon. Of course, yeah. Um, so that and that's the only way it's difficult to watch, but um, it's it is important to stick with them. It is important to have another look at problematic men. I think and so. Figure out exactly what they're trying to tell us. Yeah, I think because I think even as infuriating as it is mm. to kind of sit down and like really try and deconstruct what meaning might lie behind that, um, it's in. I think it's actually invaluable in shedding light on uh, our own discourse, mm -hmm. our own tastes. Yeah, uh, and. Just it's a generally I think a healthy exercise when we're talking about an, a film auteur yeah. who has a wider you know repertoire of other works, and the the way that those previous preoccupations manifest themselves now mm -hmm. you know in the development of that artist I find that really interesting. It is. It you is know? really interesting. Um, <laughs> we really hope he's working on something new now. Oh, Lars, please. <laughs> you know that I have like this fantasy. Of, I've never wanted to be an actress, but I would be an actress so that I could go and be broken down and built back up again <laughs> by Lars, which is my most masochistic, anti-feminist, shameful fantasy. Well, you but know, you know what? what? I'm just going to be to be <laughs> honest about my flaws in this film about a person with just lots of terrible flaws. I have a theory that your doppelganger, Mia Goth, <laughs> is on Lars von Trier's radar. Oh. I see her appearing in something by him. Interesting. So I could almost, I could. So next time I go and see Lars von, you know, Mia Goth in the Lars von Trier film, I could live through her. <laughs> exactly. I re that's really nice of you to say, and I was really <laughs> excited when you got that started on Instagram. But Mia Goth is my doppelganger, and all these people I've always joined thought in. that it's she's far lovelier than I. But no that's that's really exciting. <laughs> I think that's a good place to stop because my, my cheeks are burning. <laughs> Fabulous place. And please share your thoughts with us. If yeah, you've we been really want to know. We want to know what you think of the house that Jack built and more broadly even of Lars von Trier, your yeah. thoughts about him Oh, because we're going to be talking about him a lot. Definitely. He's one of our favourites. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.